Hey, y'all. Hey, this is Trina. Welcome to Parenting for Liberation. Did y'all remember that I'm also a professor? Your girl got out here with multiple jobs, y'all. Anywho, I am a professor at Cal State Fullerton and here in Southern California, and I teach courses on African-American studies. And so for this podcast episode, I'm actually featuring an interview that happened at an event that I hosted with my students. So I teach a class on community activism, community engagement, and professional development. And what's the best way to support young people and students in learning how to build community and how to engage in community without encouraging them first to build it themselves. And so I invited my students to host an event on their campus. And so this episode is featuring a conversation that I had with author Rebecca Walker at the event, which the students call Black Cool. The name of the event was named after Rebecca Walker's book, Black Cool, 1,000 Streams of Blackness. My students performed. It was a really lively event. They really had opportunity to see them, to step into their own leadership and to see their own potential and bring things to fruition. And it was opportunity in a place where there's only 2% black people. There was opportunity for my students to experience what it's like to actually build community right here in your own home, in your own backyard, and that you don't have to wait for other people to build it. You can build it. And even if there's only 2%, 2% of 100,000 people is a lot of people. And so if we can bring our folks together, that we can have community, we can build connection, and we can amplify and celebrate our Blackness and our Black cool. So I hope that you enjoy this episode, which features a conversation with author Rebecca Walker, author of Black Cool, 1,000 Streams of Blackness, the interview that I did with her live in person. I hope that you enjoyed these episodes where they're not in the studio, they're live and in real time, um, giving you an opportunity to step into the world of P4L down here in Southern California. I hope you enjoy. Raising Black children in the United States can be really scary. And as a Black mother, I realized I was parenting from fear. And I wanted to make a commitment to parent for liberation. Wake up, everybody. No more sleeping in bed. No more backward thinking. Time for thinking And now, without further ado, we will be having a conversation with our special guest, so I'd like to welcome to the stage her interviewer, Professor Trina Green, and the author of Black Who, 1,000 Streams of Blackness, Rebecca Walker. Please give them a hand. Yes. So a little background of our interviewer, Trina Green, recognized as an inspirational parent in 2018 by Cadre, and as a black feminist rising in 2017 by Black Women's Blueprint, Trina Green is a leader on the rise and she's taking black parents and children along with her to higher heights. As a proud black feminist, mama activist, she founded Parenting for Liberation to support black parents as they heal from and interrupt intergenerational violence to build resilient and joyful black families and community. Trina lectures and writes on topics of African-American families at Cal State Fullerton. Her writing has been featured in, on parenting for the Washington Post, Essence Magazine, LA Parent Magazine, and anthologies. Her book, Parenting for Liberation, A Guide for Raising Black Children, debuted on Juneteenth, 2020 by Feminist Press. Yeah, give her a hand. That's, that's impressive. That's impressive. And I would just like to say that, Trina, all your students love you. We really appreciate you. This has been such an amazing semester. 
Um, and it's been wonderful having you as our professor. Um, yeah. <laughs> and for our special guests, Rebecca Walker has contributed to the global conversation about identity, power, and the evolution of the human family for over two decades. Her 10 books, some of her books include Black, White, and Jewish, Autobiography of a Shifting Self, and Black Cool, 1,000 Streams of Blackness. She has developed film and television projects at Warner Brothers, BET, NBC Universal, Amazon, HBO, and Paramount, <laughs> and has spoken at over 400 universities, conferences, and corporates, including Stanford, Spelman, and TEDx. When she was 21, Rebecca co-founded the Third Wave Fund. Yeah, I'm 22. She founded a whole fund when she was 21. <laughs> and this fund, which it makes grants to youth-led intersectional gender justice movements to advance the power, well-being, and self-determination of young activists of color. She has won many awards and was named by Time Magazine as one of the most influential leaders of her generation. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together and give a warm welcome to Rebecca Walker. Give it up, give it up, give it up. All right, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thanks I'm, for making the trek to Orange County. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. I come, you know, whenever you ask. Oh, you know? yeah, I heard that, you're right? you're cool like that. Because I'm cool like that? Yes. Black cool. Black cool like All that. All right, so this is about to be a cool conversation, okay. but I'm bummed. Um, so as my students, first off, let me give it up for my students. Y'all doing the thing. From the decor to the MCN to the call and response, y'all doing it. And there's more to come. So do not leave early because you're in for some more treats from the students in this class who have put on some incredible ideas um, that are inspired by your book, Black Cool. I can't wait. Yeah, so, so as an educator, because you know, you're an educator, um, we teach in classes, which is important, but beyond that, it's about our relationships with our students, right? The relationships that we have to be their mentors, to inspire them, to encourage them, to push them, even when they don't want to be pushed, yeah. um, to give them deadlines, <laughs> to put expectations. Look how they all look at me. Um, and so as readers of Black Cool, right, um, we learn that your work is inspired by one of your mentors, Robert Ferris Thomas, mm -hmm. and his, um, and it supported your introduction and, and exploration of Itulu, Itutu, mm -hmm. Itutu, which is the translation of cool into English. Um, and, and I'm curious, how have your mentors and how do you recommend me as a newer educator and mentor of the, of the next generation, um, how have they helped you shape your ideas of black cool, your mentors? And it could be yeah. Robert and others. And then what do you recommend for me and other educators and how we can mentor the next generation? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, let me think about that. So I went to a PWI for college, um, predominantly white institution, which, you know, most of y'all are familiar with. And um, I spent a lot of time when I was in college fighting against the administration, fighting against um, my fellow students, you know, really fighting to try to elevate the consciousness and discourse around white supremacy, um, 
the need for an intersectional approach both to uh, curriculum, faculty retention, basic social interaction. <laughs> um, and, and it was very difficult. It took a lot of energy. And so one of the ways in which I fed myself as I was doing that work was to really seek out the African-American, specifically, professors that were at my college. And that led me to a profound um, appreciation of both myself and them and our, our culture, the culture that I was studying with them. And it wasn't as if I didn't know the culture before I got there. It was that those professors, including Bell Hooks, who was one of my, my most important mentors, were creating a space in which we could um, speak freely, think freely, um, express ourselves freely. And there was a kind of profound recognition of our beauty and our genius and our resilience that, that, they, were, that they were displaying, that they were affirming. And that was critical to my growth as a, as a thinker um, and as someone who understood that part of my job as an educator was to give that kind of affirmation and, and to expect when black students show up before me, to expect to see brilliance and genius and beauty and creativity and cool in all of its different manifestations. And that that was not something that they needed to prove to me. That was something that I knew existed the second they walked in the door. And so that um, was a great gift that I was given and one that I think is important for all of us to give to our students. In terms of expectations, I think that, um, you know, I was just at the Poetry Festival in Jackson, Mississippi, um, that was commemorating the 50th anniversary of the Margaret Walker gathering of black poets 50 years ago. Um, honoring Phyllis Wheatley, who was an enslaved woman, who was a poet, who had the audacity to write poems in this country. Um, and one of the things that was so moving about that experience was hearing many of her students who, who were coming, and you know, she's, she's passed, but many of her students are alive, and they were talking about their experience with her. And they were saying, you know, when, when Dr. Walker told you to do something, you didn't say no. When Dr. Walker told you, listen, you need to go research this over at that library, you need to read this book, you need to talk to this person, you need to go over that, you know, they were just like, yes, ma'am, because they understood that she was trying to help them evolve into the highest iteration of themselves. And they had deep respect for her. You know, this was a different time when access to education for African Americans was, was a, a, you know, I mean, it's a gift now, but then, you know, especially in the Deep South, when, when students were not even allowed to attend those universities, it was a miracle. And so when, when students came in, they saw their elders, their professors as, you know, as like gods. And so they followed their lead and the professors understood that their expectations should be high because their students could not only achieve those expectations, but because white supremacy and other white teachers would not have high expectations like that and would be happy to allow their students to dwell in mediocrity. And so for a black um, educator, it's, it's extremely important that we 
understand that mediocrity is not an option for us and that if we set the expectations, our students will rise and that when they rise, they will respect that we have set that expectation for them to rise and they will understand that it was an act of love and an act of faith and an act of belief. Um, my son just started his college experience this semester and he's taking a class on um, Jimi Hendrix and John Coltrane and their influence on American culture. And he wrote his first college paper on, um, on Coltrane and on the genus of his genius. And, um, and I read the paper and I thought, oh my God, this is a brilliant paper. You know, I'm so into you, I'm so happy. You, you know, you're doing everything I want you to do. You're everything in life. I love you, my son. Anyway, all that. So brilliant, right, you know how mamas are. Um, but also as an educator, but anyway. So he said to me, I said, so how'd that go? What did the professor say? And he said, well, I got an A, but he said he wanted more. And he was like, mixed message, mom. I said, no, that's not a mixed message. Brilliant black men are always gonna want brilliant black men to be more brilliant. That's our job, is to, is to push and say, that's beautiful, you can do more. I see more in you see more in yourself. So. I love that. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for affirming when we push. Yes. That is out of love, y'all. Pushing is really important. Me and my teaching artists. these days. Yes. We have been pushing. Like, this was great, and there's more. There's more in you. Yes. And it's unfortunate that they can't see it yet, but we can see it for them. So we're gonna keep pushing. So I hope y'all love the, the, the gentle pushing. Um, and I, I think sometimes the pushing has to be hard. Oh. Because- I'd be so, I thought I'd be gentle. Well. You know, my faculty ratings might not say I'm that gentle. Right, now, now that's a real problem, <laughs> that, that we are rated. Listen. That is not I'm okay. I'm gonna need y'all to go rate me and say That I'm is good. not okay. So you have to be sort of soft in order to be well rated. That's, that's, that's not helpful to black students. And in this school where it's only 2% Ooh. black. Right. Um, it's also not helpful to non-black students to be soft because it yeah. doesn't support yes. them in learning and understanding the black experience in Orange County. So I Talk do have it. to be yes. a little bit more, I guess, intense. Yes. And you just tell them I'm being intense because I believe in you yeah. and I want more for, for you and from you. And you know? I feel like I'm doing it because I believe in black history, black culture, African-American studies. Like I believe in this so deeply that I want you to get it. Exactly. I can't just pass you because like you, if you didn't really up. get it. <laughs> right. My, I was like, I can't have you going around saying you get it. Um, right. And then say, I took her class. Right. <laughs> like, no, you did no. not. So yeah, so the pushing is, is, is gentle and it's, it's, it's love. That's um, one of the kind of um, one of the goals of the class is to bring together the intersections of art and activism mm -hmm. and how can we use art for social change. And so um, that could be writing, visual arts, um, performative arts. We're going to do a little bit of all of that today. Um, and it's really about looking at activism in a more expansive way because we mm -hmm. often get sometimes have limited views about what activism is. Mm -hmm. um, and in the book Black Cool, several of the writers connect the personal with the political um, and exploring ideas of like resistance and activism within the context of Black Cool. What can we learn from the pantheon of Black Cool as we work to confront the current sociopolitical issues that we're experiencing? Like how can we learn from Black Cool in, those, in this current moment? Mm. Well, 
Um, so the reason that I decided, you know, Black Hool, I think, is my sixth book. They all, all of my work is about creating space for different stories that are not included within um, mm -hmm. the mainstream narratives of who we are as human beings. That's like my vision, that's my reason for being, really, is to support those stories um, and those people and those communities. So I think I've always worked at the intersection of art and activism in that way, but I really wanted to do Black Cool because I felt that a lot of young people, specifically, did not understand that we have an ancestral legacy that has allowed us to survive for centuries. Mm -hmm. And that, yeah. that legacy um, is, 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 is embodied in the idea of black cool. That's what I'm doing, is trying to um, broaden the idea of black cool from like, you know, um, sunglasses and at that point like baggy pants and Gold you know gold chains, right, sneakers, which, you know, style has always gotten us through. Style is very important. Self-expression is very important. I never want to put that down, but that's not all of it. And so to go back to these ancestral tools that are embedded within the aesthetic of Black Cool is a way to, to give people a toolbox with which to navigate any situational um, experience of oppression, negation, erasure, right? So that's why, you know, the, the book is set up with these different elements that you can take with you anywhere you go and know that you are leaning into a black cultural tradition of survival and mm. resistance. So that's audacity, that's moving as a community, the posse, right? That's swagger, that's you know, self-confidence, you know, a way of, of managing your body in public space, right? That is not about being subordinated. Um, that's the geek, so, so an intellectualism, an intellectual rigor that you bring to every moment. So you understand not just the present of what's happening, but the future and the past, right? The, I'm doing this. The past, the present, and the future. You have a real sense of where you are. So there are all of these different tools that are presented in the book as elements, and they're really, um, they, they make up a cosmology of survival. Mm -hmm. And so I think that you can take any of these tools in the face of what we're dealing with today, and they will be relevant and helpful, you know? So audacity, right? I mean, you have to have audacity to survive this, this nightmare that we're living in, right. you know? I mean, just to survive it. You have to have audacity to speak to it. You have to have audacity to resist it. Um, the posse, you know, you, you need, in, you know, interdependence is what we are about in yeah. our community. Black Cool is not about, you know, I'm gonna just go off on my own. <laughs> you know, that, that's, not, that's not us, you know. We are about, we're all gonna go or none of us are gonna go. And we're gonna figure out how to do it. If it's three of us, if it's 300 of us, if it's 3,000 of us, if it's three million of us, that's the goal, you know? We're not leaving people behind. Yeah. Um, so, so these are all, reserve is a great element, you know, to know when to hold it in, to know how to use silence to your advantage, 
It's not always about speaking out. It's not always about speaking truth to power. It's not always about being loud. Sometimes it's about holding it together, pooling the energy, cooling the energy, mm. and seeing how that flows in a certain environment. So that's a tool. So it's about gathering our tools, fortifying our toolbox, and facing whatever's coming. Um, so that's just a, a small I love sampling. that. I mm -hmm. love that you describe it as a toolbox. It makes me think about how the master's tools won't help us to dismantle the master's house, but if we had our own tools, a toolbox of black cool, right, as a, as a toolbox for survival and struggle in these current times and all the times, right, um, yes. to, to sustain ourselves. So I exactly. like that. Exactly. Yeah, That's like a beautiful that. reference to bring it to Audrey. Yes, Audrey. Mm -hmm. So speaking of reserve or questions or, um, you know, do we be reserved? Do we speak truth to power? Um, in the intro of the book, you asked some very like thought provoking questions. And I think Jeremiah actually read one of them that we were wrestling with as a class when we were planning this event, right? I mentioned that we are in Orange County where it's only 2% black. And so as you ask in the book, can black cool be like tried on by other people, right? And so as a class that is folks who are black and non-black, we struggled or not struggled, we were in rigorous conversation with each other about how do you both protect the sanctity of black coolness, but also inviting folks into it um, in a way that will still honor blackness. Um, and then also in a community where there's only 2% black people, how do we make sure that we continue to center the voices when people feel like it's, un it's not that necessary because we're so small? Okay, okay, okay. Um, yeah, that's a lot. Well, it's good. those are good questions. I think that one of the great tragedies of the appropriation of black cool is, is and, and, and why we call it appropriation, is because we are not credited mm. as black people and our culture is not credited. Right. So when, when we are not acknowledged as having this lineage, there is an erasure of where, where this thing that people love came from. Right. So there is an erasure not just of the lineage, but of the human beings who created this culture. And so when that happens, there is a denigration and invisibility, um, something that contributes to white supremacy, something that contributes to the idea that we are not producing something that is genius, that is transformative, that is pivotal to the culture. You know, because there's no, there's no there there. You reach back and it's like, oh, cool is everybody. Cool, everybody can, you know, da 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 da. And so it's like, I, I often say, it's like yoga came from India, right? And, and like, you know, yeah. just like cool came from Africa. Africa. So, so when you have all of these, you know, yoga studios and people talking about yoga, we know where it came from. And so that community, that entire group of people, gets a lot of credit for bringing this incredible tradition of healing into the culture, right? Now, obviously, they brought many other things, and this is a kind of reductionist view, and I'm sure Indian people would have a, a whole critique of the way it's been commodified by this country, appropriated yes. by, you know, like you know Luliman and all that. But, and still, there is a reference point which gives a kind of humanity and respect to that culture. 
And so when white people or when any other people appropriate our cool, our cosmology, without acknowledging the lineage, they are um, doing everything I just said they're doing. So it's important we can share it, but there has to be a real articulated acknowledgement of the history. It's just, it's just necessary. Because, you know, our, you know, whatever. Okay, so that. Now, the 2%, so, so basically, you know, yes, have it, but then talk, talk about where it comes from. And also, pay us for it. Ooh. You know, I mean, it's like nobody is, is kind of, you know, the, the gurus who came here um, in the 60s, the yoga gurus um, bringing Hinduism, bringing the, the, um, the yogic tradition, you know, they were paid. You know what I mean? They had their students were giving money. They were supporting them. We've got yoga studios. Now, of course, again, we can talk about appropriation, commodification, all of that which is a problem of capitalism, white supremacy, our culture. But, and still, there's an understanding that there needs to be some reciprocity there. And, and that is true for us as well. How can we be remunerated for what we're bringing? Mm -hmm. And that is something that each of us has to think about at every moment that we are contributing our genius, our intellect, our creativity, our swagger, our audacity, whatever that is, you know, that has got to be paid for. Mm -hmm. And so that, those are two different, you know, give us credit and pay us. And help us build our credit. And help us build, and help us build our credit, exactly. You know, fund our communities, fund our projects, fund, because it will be our work that will transform this culture as it always has. Amen. And so, Amen. and so, those people who are doing that work, who don't get funded, are the ones who then are not able to continue the work, and then the whole culture suffers. So, white people, when when they're coming into this, need to really buy into that idea, you know. And if they can't, then that's a problem. Right. Then, then, then we've got problems. So there's that. So the two percent who feel like they don't need to do this—that was the question. What yeah. do we say? Yeah. I mean, like we, we have to make a case for this kind of stuff. Like we have to. To black people? No. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, you're always going to have to make a case to white people. <laughs> I mean, that's to just. To institutions and systems. Thank you. Sorry. To institutions <laughs> yeah. and systems. Thank you so much for yeah. that, that correction. Yes. A hundred percent, as just, the young people say. You just got to do it. You just gotta, no, no. And you're right. And it's, it's the correct approach, you know. Um, it's the correct languaging. Yes. So I think that um, the languaging, as I've engaged it, is that the entire community suffers if this community has no voice. Mm -hmm. if, if our presence isn't here and vibrant, everyone else in the community is missing a vital element that is necessary to be a contemporary thinker a contemporary contributor to culture. If you're not exposed and in conversation with black people um, right now, I, I don't know how you're gonna function in the future, really. Because, I mean, really, you know, um, I was just reading about um, African migration patterns. You know, they're saying now that the exodus or the, the, the future of 
the African diaspora in the next 20 years is going to be such that Africans are just basically everywhere. <laughs> and so in, 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 in much greater numbers than, than they are now. And again, if people want to be able to shape the future in a meaningful way, be involved in a kind of dynamic conversation that is going to yield at least a more interesting life, they have got to figure out th that they need this, you know. Um, so, so again, we were just talking, I was talking to, to this little crew over here, this crew, this crew. about... Um, the troublemaker? <laughs> yes. Good trouble. Good, good trouble. trouble. We always want to make good trouble. Um, we were talking about, what were we talking about? See, it just went right out of my mind. We were talking about all kinds of things. But wait, let me think. Oh, we were talking about how important it is to make social justice work, movement work, mm -hmm. this kind of work, sexy, <laughs> fun, you know, and that there is, you know, I was saying, I was talking about this 30 years ago when I founded Third Wave. <clears throat> I was worried that we were losing a whole generation of feminists because nobody wanted to use the word. Everybody had issues with the word. Some of the issues were real and important, but it had to be addressed. And, um, and my goal was how do we make the movement sexy? How do we make it, how do we make it, we've got to market the movement. So, and that's just the reality. And, and, and so that means we've got to make liberation beautiful. We've got to make revolution amazing. And, and we're fighting against, you know, the phone. <laughs> you know, let's just say the phone and everything in the phone. <laughs> um, and so I think when we're thinking about how to talk to institutions and people who have the power to make these kinds of decisions. Not only are we developing ourselves so that we can be in those positions of power, so that we mm. can be at the table, yes. but we're also figuring out how to talk to them, how to shape and, and form a narrative that will help them understand. We gotta make it sexy. We gotta make it sexy. Okay. That will make them understand what they will be missing. Mm -hmm. And we have to make them want it. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and we can do that. I mean, we can make people want Jordans. We can make people want. I mean, Jordans is an old reference. I was going to say, they're not. They're still you know, I was going to go into Kanye, but I didn't want to go into Kanye at the moment. Um, <laughs> but I mean, we can make. I mean, we make shit sexy. I mean, that's like what we do. What <laughs> so, we do. so we need to. We need to continue to to develop um, our language and our 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 vibe um, cleverly and brilliantly to seduce. I'm serious. <laughs> seduce the masses. Yes, seduce <laughs> them. Well, I mean, you know, it, it's, it's how do you talk to people? You know, it's, it's um, it, it, that's what it is. It's how do you talk to people? Who said it, we have to make it irresistible? Who said that? I forgot. I don't remember, I don't but somebody that, did. So, I think it was Tony. Tony who, Marson? No, um, Bambara. Oh, Tony K. Bambara? Mm -hmm. That sounds right. Yeah, I think so. I'll have to check my Maybe. reference. But I get what you're saying. We have to make it, we have to appeal. I mean, I think, you know, the, the, the rebel in me, the good trouble 
in me that's kicking in is like, well, what if you don't want to have to do all that? Mm. Why I got to make it sexy for you? Is you in or out? Right. <laughs> do you like it or not? Do you want it or not? Like, right. So a part of me is like, if you don't think I'm sexy, I don't know what to tell you. I know I'm sexy. Like, <laughs> I mean, that's real, but but I don't know if it's realistic. I know. And that's but sometimes the, I'm that's like, well, maybe problem. if I have to convince you so hard, maybe you're not really an ally. Yeah. But you know, right. that, that's our work, is no, to figure I out the messaging, you. the messaging. Right, I mean, that is our work. It's a both and. That is our work, it's a both and, 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 and. And, and, and. You know, I, I did, I wrote this, this piece and, and delivered it at, um, and delivered it. Um, and it was, <laughs> it's, it's been delivered, it's been delivered, honey. <laughs> and it was about leaving the intellectual plantation oh. and, Tell and it was about, about you know, how we are not picking cotton, but we are so often being mined for our intellectual mm. labor in the service of mm. changing people's minds in the same way that you're talking about that the work that goes into making it sexy, the work that the goes labor. in to figuring out how to talk to people after having figured that out a thousand times and not seeing anybody change, you know, um, and that I want off of the intellectual plantation. You know, I don't, I, I don't want to be laboring like that, you know. Yeah. And so I hear you. You feel me? I feel you deeply. You got me, okay. Good. Okay. And uh -oh. here I am, and and I will go up into <laughs> you know, here I, I am. and here I am, and here you are, <laughs> and and when people ask me um, to speak or to meet or to consult, and I think, wow, you know, wow, <laughs> this is going to be a lot of work. I assess whether I can actually be helpful. Mm -hmm. I assess what I need in order to show up and do that kind of work. Mm -hmm. And I assess in the midst of it when I need to leave. Okay. So I think that what you're saying and what you're talking about is absolutely correct. I mean, I believe in it. And so we have to figure out how to navigate it so that we're not depleted right. and it doesn't leave us feeling hopeless and, right. you know, burned out. Right. And that's really the job or a big part of the job. Is figuring that out. Yeah. And I think it's like on a case by case. Ab invitation 100%. by invitation basis. A hundred percent. Well, I'm glad this one didn't feel too, too laborious and you showed up. <laughs> I think that I will always show up for black people. You know, that's a very different, I mean, it's not that it's a very different situation, but it is a very different situation because yeah. I get a lot more. I feel like I'm seeing myself, we're seeing each other. There's love, there's something that flows. I'm not having to face uh, people who are doubting. Mm -hmm. I'm not, you know, cause that's what takes a lot of energy. Mm. You know, it's like the people who just come and they're just sitting there assessing, you know, do I really want to believe in this bird? You know, it's like, you know what? Um, no. So, <laughs> so when I, so when I, you know, so, so, and then, no. and then, you know, knowing <laughs> you and, and hearing your, your brilliance and your soul 
And, and then, you know, seeing what your students have done, you know, the few that I've seen. Yeah. I mean, it's like, how could I not come? How could you not? How could I not come? Oh, did we make it sexy? You made it so hey, sexy. I mean, you made it are, so circle. sexy. Full, full circle. Full circle. You good job. Make I see it how sexy. you did that. We made it Yeah, sexy. that was very good. Yeah, you made it really, yeah, really. Shout out to my students. We sexy, y'all. Beautiful. <laughs> Beautiful. So smart. Yeah. So smart. So innovative. Um, I can't wait to see the presentations afterwards because the ones that I saw, I was my mind was blown. I was like, okay. <laughs> um, it was very moving to me, you know. And that's that's that is giving me. It's like, okay, I did the work, and now it's passed on, and they're taking it somewhere else, and and I just want to be there. Um, to, to witness that and to support that, because that, that's the goal, you know? That's the goal. You, you do your work for the, the students, for the people who are gonna come after you. And if that doesn't happen, if that's not picked up, you feel like, what, why did I do that? Yeah. So it, it gives me a sense of purpose. Mm -hmm. and, um, and that my energy was not wasted. It was not. No, it was not, thank you. Thank you for that. Oh. No. Well, actually, this is another follow-up because in your book, <laughs> um, you close the introduction, encouraging folks who read the book to read the book, to contemplate it, and to add your own elements to the collection. You say, you called it a toolbox 10 seconds ago, but you say here, let's build a periodic table of black cool element by element. Yeah. And our class took you up on that offer. Yes. Um, and so working with Kia Vance, um, who's our teaching artist, who we've literally created um, a, a periodic table of black hole elements. Um, and at the end of the event, all of you will have an opportunity to, to add your element to our periodic table. So please stay and join us for the art activity. Um, and many of the essays talk about art and pop culture and music and how they've impacted the black cool aesthetic. How does art in all of its manifestations um, shape and reflect your concept of black cool? Um, how, does, how does art? Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, well, You know, art is about freedom, mm -hmm. the best art, I think. Mm -hmm. It's about authenticity, knowing who you are and being willing to express yourself in a way that perhaps no one else has ever expressed. expressed. Um, it's about audacity, to have the nerve, to have the, the audacity to show up and speak your truth and, and put it out there. Um, it's dynamic. I mean, you know, the best art uses almost all of the tools that I can think of, of mm -hmm. Black Cool. Mm -hmm. and, and art itself moves us in a different way. You know, it, it speaks to us at a soul level. It speaks to us um, in the space of, of poetics. It speaks to us in a language that is not linear, that is not chronological, that is not um, defined by a colonial idea of time and space. 
it is free of colonization, mm -hmm. the best art, yeah. I think. And that's why it, it transcends, and that's why it breaks out, and that's why it's liberative. Um, so, and you know, and especially for people who have been disallowed the space to dream and mm. imagine mm -hmm. and just flow peacefully, you know, just to have, um, to not be constantly called upon to perform an identity, to fight a fight, to feel a feeling, to, to, to dwell in a space of reaction, of struggle, you know, all the things that we are asked to do to survive, you know, to have a moment with art is to enter into a portal that is free of that mm. and that is just deeply um, in the service of our humanity. And so I turn to art for that, you know. I love that. That's beautiful. Okay. I like that. Um, I'm going to ask you one last question. Sure. It's a fun one. Good. Um, so <clears throat> when we talk about inspiration for like Black Cool, it's not fixed, right? It's not just static, right? It's ever evolving and changing. And so what I love about Black Cool is that it truly illuminates that 1,000 streams of blackness, right? There's like thousands of streams, right? So there's different ways of expressing blackness, different ways of expressing coolness. And so this is my fun last question. So who are your top five? Oh, gosh. <laughs> oh, no. Who are your top five? Oh, folks, dear. Currently or past, present or future who are embodying black cool. So name some folks that we should be looking up and listening to or checking out in the future. Um. Well, as you know, I'm doing a second volume of Black Cool. I heard about yes, that. Yes, you heard about that. So, so I can just reference some of the people that are in the book, including you, oh, Ms. Green. So, so I think that, that you are an example of Black Cool that I'm thinking about right now. I thank you. Uh-huh. Yes. And, and just thinking about the other writers, um, Ross Gay, do you all know Ross Gay? Yeah, yes. he's writing a beautiful piece for the new collection. Um, he's really interested in joy and delight and, and sort of, um, you know, the, the, the elevation of spirit mm. um, that, we can, that we can engage through acts of black joy. I love that. And he's beautiful, he's a beautiful brother. And he's cool, he's so, he's just, that is so cool to me. Um, Dominique Drakeford is a woman that I think is really cool. She's writing about sustainability, and, and she's got this piece called um, Plotten, which I love. And, and, she's, and it's about her garden, you know, like plotting, like doing a plot, of, of, you know, growing your greens and growing your tomatoes and whatnot. And it is very cool to me to think about the sustainability movement and yes. black people and black farmers learning um, and, and reconnecting with the earth and reconnecting with growing our own food and being self-reliant in that space. That's very cool, you know, to me. That is very cool. So I think she should be looked at. Um, 
Oh, Mashade is another person oh, writing a piece. I love them. You know, right. That's my boo. She's she's fabulous. <laughs> and she's talking a lot about menopause and, and the messages of blood, really, and what blood has to tell us at different times in our lives. I think mm -hmm. that's a very interesting. You know, blood is something that is very present in um, Yoruba traditions, rituals. Um, so the way that she's looking at that is very cool to me. Um, great to have these references to the to the book who else is writing um there's so many people writing rachel cargill is writing mm -hmm. i think mm -hmm. she's very cool um i'm trying to get christian to write but christian Contreras. yes it's very cool very cool i love her so you know like that i, I guess what i'm saying is just like i did with the first book mm -hmm. You know, a lot of those writers were not obviously, you know, they weren't like cultural icons considered cool. And it was about me looking around and seeing the work they were doing and connecting it to the cosmology and saying, oh, you're working on that element of cool. And so really all of us can look around in our families, at ourselves, in our communities, and identify what people are doing and really give them credit for embodying something that fits into this cosmology. You know, it's not really about the people out there. They've already got theirs. It's about giving it to the people that are intimate in your life or that are right in front of you, you know? Um, so, you know, you, you I forget you, what, no. Doctor? No. Natalie, was talking about Veterans Day, and I was just visiting my family cemetery in Georgia last week, and I was really um, moved to see that someone had put American flags next to the graves, the tombstones of my uncles who served in Vietnam, who served in Korea, um, one who served No, both, all of them, Vietnam and Korea. And I have my own feelings about the military-industrial complex. We all do, right? Mm -hmm. And they suited up and booted up and went through what they went through. And it is so important to recognize that and to, and to see their resilience and stoicism and determination to show up in that particular nightmare as who they were and to come back alive and not just physically alive but psychologically alive. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, right there in, in my family, right there in the cemetery, you know, I was saying this is my favorite uncle, my Uncle Bobby. And, uh, you know, that's cool. That's cool. He's one of the coolest brothers I know. Yeah. You know. I love that. Being able to look into your intimate community, turn to each other, turn to your neighbor. I'm serious. It's yes. Turn to your neighbor and acknowledge their black cool element. Right? Yes. Each of you, each of you bring an element of black cool, right? 
Yes, and turn to yourselves. Turn to yourself. Look in the mirror. Look in the mirror. Look in the mirror. Because I want to know. And then I want to know, are you cool like that? Black cool like that. Are you cool like that? Black cool like that. Is we cool like that? Black cool. Yeah, we oh, cool see. like that. Uh, black cool. <laughs> it's so funny. Right. I was at this thing at, 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 in, in Jackson, and, um, and my mom was speaking. I don't know. Do you all know my mom? Alice Walker, who wrote The Color Purple. Okay, anyway. So she was speaking. <laughs> just that. Just and she, and she, she finished her talk, and she had been talking about, she mentioned all these songs. And she mentioned Love and Happiness, Al Green's Love and Happiness. And so at the end of the talk, they started to play Al Green's Love and Happiness. And everybody in the room, it seemed like to me, got up, it was so beautiful, and started doing the electric slide. I mean, it was like 800 people, okay? Well, I mean, it was deep. It was so deep. And it was, like, and it was just about joy and love, and she had been talking about all this stuff and everything. And I could not do it. And I was like, how did everybody learn how to do this? And I didn't. Like, this is not okay. Know. You still don't know? This is not okay. Do you still not know? Well, I mean, it was last week, honey. Oh, so, okay. But anyway. We, we teach teaching today. No, no. She, no, they, the, the people helped me. Okay. So I, I did not run away. I got into the twirl. And people were like, okay, down, left, turn to the... Turn to the and right. I just did it, you know. But it was so... Um, I felt like it was so cool the way that there was this spontaneous collective, and you all probably all know this and are like, yeah, yeah, but this spontaneous collective um, physical, psycho-emotional expression um, of being in the groove of life, Yeah, you know, and it was just like, okay. And then, and so I was like, y'all are really cool. And then when I entered into it, I felt like I'm cool entering into this stream. And even though I might step on somebody's toes, my willingness and my humility and my appreciation mm -hmm. and my knowing that I belong, even if I don't know all the steps, yeah. is part of what makes me cool, you know. Yeah. So I had a great time even though I did step on some toes. Um, but it was a beautiful moment. It was like the embodiment of, of, of a great element that will keep us all alive in perilous times. Yeah. The ability to get up and, and dance together. And the ability, if you don't know the steps, to get in there and figure them out. You yeah. Know? yeah, I love that. We will be dancing. Good after a few commercial breaks. Okay. Thank you so much You're for so your welcome. time. Yes. Thank you, thank you. We will, I'm gonna, um, are there any burning questions from the yeah, audience? Yeah, questions, questions. Burning or not burning, yes. And Mecca. You have mentioned one thing about not settling What is one instance where you have, whether it be while you were a student or later in your adult life, that you found yourself in a situation where you had to fight to not settle for mediocrity? Mm -hmm. Wow, great question. One of my students, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. 
she's never been mediocre. Uh, right. She's I, like, I've never been mediocre. I've in my never. Life. I think. I think that. Well, it's not that I've never been, but but it's that. Um, I would never. Well, you know, my family did not set. They set an expectation for excellence, and so, and and they modeled it. So I, I never cool. really, um, mediocrity has never been an option really for me. Though I will, I'm just remembering, when I was in high school, I had a great teacher and, and we were studying um, the Greek plays, uh, I think, the Greeks. <laughs> and I wrote a paper and I remember him saying, he wrote this long response, you know, great paper, da da da. And then he said, But listen, Rebecca, you're very smart. And you can coast and do well if you want to. But don't do that because you will not reach your potential. Mm. And that's a, a moment like we're talking about mm -hmm. a teacher who said that to me. And it was very important because I had been able to just, you know, show up and do it and get good grades, all that. And I could have just kept kind of doing that in some ways, you know. Um, but I think that I've always held myself to a very high standard. And then, and then when Bell, as my mentor, once talked about um, white supremacy I'm trying to remember her phrasing. White supremacy worships at the altar of black mediocrity. Mm. It was something like that. Mm. White supremacy. But basically, white supremacy thrives when we rest in mediocrity. That is what is part of, you know, what keeps it alive. You know, and so you see the people who break out of mediocrity are the ones often who most challenge the systems of white supremacy. Mm. And the ones who don't, I mean, you know, okay, but, 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 you know, you got to push um, if you want to, to really fight that demon, mm. internally and externally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So... You're welcome. Great question. That was a great question. Yes. Maricia. <laughs> you mentioned earlier uh, having great mentors during some fundamental years of your life when you were still trying to, to form a healthy relationship with um, what sounds to me like the freedom of thinking. Yeah. And I know so many people, myself included, uh, I went to a predominantly white institution for undergrad, and I was also a part of the 2%. Urban when I got my master's degree. Mm -hmm. And so, as an educator and as a creator, mm -hmm. practically, mm -hmm. how do you foster freedom of thought? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a great question. Well, um, I think I do all of the normal expected things, like as, a, as, a, as an artist and as a thinker. I try to read as much as possible across many different disciplines. 
I try to see as much art as possible. I, I travel as much as possible. I mean, I really cultivate an understanding of um, the diversity of thought and, and expression that's out there, you know? And that allows me to have a, a, a much broader sense of what's possible. You know, that's very important, all of that. And then probably as fundamental, um, you know, I've been a student of Buddhism for 30 years. So that practice of understanding, you know, impermanence, of understanding emptiness, of cultivating compassion, of um, of cultivating freedom, you know. I mean, part of being able to see past this reality is just really understanding impermanence as a basic thought, you know. So this building is not always going to be here. It wasn't here 20 years ago or however many. It's not going to be here in 50 years, you know. So, so, so when you realize that all of this is constantly changing, then you don't really get as fixed on what is right? You're much more in the flow of, well, yes, this is here and something else is going to come, you know? At, at another point, I mean, you know, it's like the human beings are not always going to be here, <laughs> you know? So, so just sort of training the mind to not be um, fixed mm. on anything, really, other than freedom from that thought, you know, has really been helpful for me. Um, Thinking of my mind, and I, you know, as as um, as as vast, you know, so that I often talk about if you think of your mind as the sky, if you think of your mind as a galaxy, and you think of the stars as the thoughts and ideas in your mind, right? Mm -hmm. So so I like to dwell in the space around the thoughts the open space. So to understand that the thoughts in my mind are conceptual ideas that are, that are just the stars in the vast cosmos. And that, that, that the creativity and the power comes from dwelling in the space from which all things come. And that really gives me a lot of joy and freedom to create. Practically. I love that. It's like artist to artist having a conversation. You're like in some portal together. <laughs> I saw Good. you receive it. Good. Um, okay, that's going to conclude. Wait, we have one more question. Oh, do we have one more? Questions are the best oh, part. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I'm so curious about just the, I mean, you see the thing about where we're at right now. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the 2% in the black population on campus in Orange County. And I'm, I'm really curious about your, um, your um, concept of like the value for us. Like what's the value for black folks in changing or transforming white supremacist institutions? Oh, God, yes. Like I know what they get. Right. You know, and so like I'm just curious about like, you know, there's like, I mean, I'm sure there's so, like I would love to have the checklist of, okay, this is when we leave. Okay, we're gonna when these if this is the like the, this is the time we we stop trying to change this place or that place or whatever. 
But I'm really curious about, like, is there another way to think about it? Is there something that we actually, that you imagine that, that, that black folks actually get in that process and going through the difficulty of that work, both spiritually, emotionally, practically, you know, and thinking about the opportunity cost of being somewhere else, of, of starting something different or imagining a different world. Um, so I'm just curious of your, your, your thoughts about, like, what do we get? <laughs> Girl, I think that is a brilliant question. Um, you know, sadly, often what we get is what we should have just to begin with. So, so we're fighting just to really be here, wherever we are, and, and to be seen and respected. So, so, so we're fighting, you know, and we get, if, if, you know, incrementally, moment by moment, more of the respect and, and the basic right, fundamental human rights that we should not have to fight for. So we get that, hopefully often, maybe, sometimes. And that's very important. We get, you know, the, the, the grit, the tenacity, um, the resilience that it takes to engage the system. We get the feeling that we have the power to fight this system, which is very, you know, it can be very fortifying. You know, we, 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 we get all that. We get the sense of being in community and in conversation with others who are doing the same work. So we get community. We get a through line. Um, and I would say we get a sense of, of joy when we're successful. And I would say that we, we not only provide for ourselves a sense of what's possible when we do this work, we keep hope alive, literally. We keep hope alive. And we believe in the future, um, which is so important, especially those of us with children. You know, I think that I've been talking to, to people who are so nihilistic. They just think there's no hope. Why should we do any of this? And I say to them, do you have kids? And often they don't. And they're not invested in the future in the same kind of way that we are when we have children. Right. And so, or, or you know, nieces, nephews, step, whatever. And, and I think we, what we get is, is the knowledge that when we do this work, our children will understand what they have to do to survive. And and hopefully they will see our success and believe that they can have the same, mm -hmm. you know? I do it definitely so much for my son, for, my, for all the children, mm -hmm. you know, because if, if they have no hope, what's the point, you know? And, and we're giving them hope by engaging. At the same time, it's, a, it's, a, it's the price of the ticket is high, as you know. And um, it's unclear how it's all going to go. 
But I think that those things that we get are worth it at the end of the day. Um, I mean, like I get to come in and talk to y'all and to feel that my life and my life energy has gone toward fortifying and inspiring the next generation of human beings. That's, a, that's, a, that's, there's no, there's nothing that, I mean, there's no amount of money, there's no trophy, there's no, there's nothing that's more valuable to me than that. Mm-hmm. So we get that. But, but I don't ever want to deny the price of that ticket. And, to, and I understand why we ask that question. Mm-hmm. What are we really getting? Mm-hmm. So, and I think we should all always ask that. What am I getting out of this? And, and, we should, and we should give ourselves permission to stop doing the work sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, like the Al-Anon. I didn't create it. You know, wait, no, I didn't cause it. I can't control it and I can't cure it. You know, just, just some moments where you're like, you know what? This is not mine to fix. Mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't make this happen, mm-hmm. you know? And, and then you enter where you can, but with the understanding that it's, it's not your responsibility. It's not your burden. You don't have to, to hold it like you made it. Mm-hmm. You know, you didn't make this. We're dealing with stuff that we did not make. So it's like, okay, <laughs> you know, it's a different orientation. And so it gives us the opportunity to be free of that pressure. You know. Beautiful. Deep questions. Deep questions, deep. right? You're like, they're taking you deep. Deep questions. And I'm loving the diversity of this crowd that is not, you know, just black as far as I can tell. I mean, cause you know, folks, everybody, you mean, we never know. All of y'all might have somebody, and you probably do. But anyway, I'm <laughs> loving the diversity here. I love my brother from Mecha, um, you know, and, and who, wherever else folks are coming from, you know, I think that your presence here is very meaningful to me and that you understand um, the value of this conversation and that it's relevant for you and that you're willing to come in and join with us together in this conversation so that you can go out from here and be an ally, be a brother, a sister, um, show up and, 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 and really um, invite us by your presence here to show up for you as well and to know that we are connected. This is how it happens. So I I recognize you, I see you, I love you, and I'm really happy you came too. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Parenting for Liberation. I hope that something shared on this episode helps you on your journey to liberated parenting. To learn more about our other episodes, check out our website at www.parentingforliberation.org backslash podcast. Please like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you're listening on iTunes, make sure you give us a good review. Wake up everybody, no more sleeping.